We turn this morning to the Word of God in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. The text for the sermon this morning is verses 28 through 32, the last part of the chapter. So pay special attention to those words. Joel chapter 2. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of the mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another, they shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city, they shall run upon the wall, they shall climb up upon the houses, they shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, Gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land. And pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad, then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month. 
and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And now begins the words that we specially consider this morning. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. We read the word of God that far. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Joel, in the land of Judah at a time that is unknown to us except that we know this, that there had just been a terrible plague of locusts, caterpillars, palmer worms, and other insects that had thoroughly devoured the crops in the fields of Judah and left very little behind. God raised up Joel to prophesy in that moment. And Joel prophesied as he looked around at the devastation caused by that plague that this plague was actually a sign, an omen, of a worse judgment that was coming. He prophesies of that worse judgment in the chapter we read. He speaks of the fact that an army is going to come, an army of heathen men, a northern army, and that army is going to bring even worse devastation upon them for their sin. And therefore, Joel calls out to the people of God. He calls out to them with urgency, lament over your sins, weep for your iniquities. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, because the Lord your God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and who knows if the Lord will repent and will turn and will leave a blessing. Joel then gave hope to the people of God. We read of that as well. He said, do not be afraid, but be glad and rejoice, because God will be merciful to you. God will restore to you what the locusts have eaten and what the caterpillars have devoured. He will cause the rains to come down again, the former rain and the latter rain. He will replenish the earth. He will fill your floors with wheat and he will fill your vats with wine and oil. And he will bless you richly once again. And then Joel spoke and wrote the words of our text. And here in our text, Joel's prophetic eye stretches into the future beyond that coming captivity, beyond the restoration and return from captivity, into the far distant future, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Joel prophesies that after all these things have come to pass, then the Messiah will come and Jehovah will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And at the very same time that the Lord sends the blessings of salvation, 
he will send the greatest judgments the world has ever seen. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will become black and the moon will become as blood in that great and dreadful day. The prophet Joel prophesied of all these things from his limited Old Testament perspective. He spoke of the great and terrible day of the Lord, as if it was one day. Many of the prophets spoke of the age of the Messiah as one day, the day of the Lord. From our New Testament perspective, the Lord has revealed to us that this great day of the Lord is not one day, but an entire era. What Joel was seeing and prophesying in the text was the coming of the whole messianic era, that whole age of history, which would be the last age of history in which the Messiah would come. And Joel prophesies that in that great day, Jehovah will pour out his spirit on all flesh. If we turn to the New Testament scriptures, to Acts chapter 2, we find that the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that the prophecy of Joel had been fulfilled and was being fulfilled that day. When the people saw 120 people going through the streets of Jerusalem, speaking in other tongues the wonderful works of God, and they said, What meaneth all these things? And some people said, These people are drunken with new wine. Peter stood up and said, No, they are not drunk. But this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. When Jehovah our God promised that in the day of the Lord he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And this morning we call our attention to that great, wondrous, saving work of God on Pentecost when he fulfilled the promise that he spoke through Joel and poured out his spirit on his church. We live in the messianic age. We live in the great day of the Lord. We are the recipients of the spirit of Jehovah. We are those who call upon the name of the Lord and have hope for salvation when these great judgments come upon the earth. Let's consider in a bit more detail now Jehovah's promise to pour out his spirit. Let's look first of all at the wondrous prophecy, secondly the coming judgments, and finally the promised salvation. In our text, Joel writes in verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward, that is, after all of the things that he prophesied would happen in his day, after all these things, in the future age of the Messiah, Jehovah promises, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. What a wondrous prophecy. Jehovah promised that he would pour out his spirit. What or who is the spirit of Jehovah? Some would say that God's spirit is simply the power of God or a force that comes out from God into the world. But we know from the rest of Scripture that the Spirit of Jehovah is a person, not a mere force. The Spirit of God is a person within God. The Holy Spirit is a person who, together with the Father and the Son, possesses the whole of the divine nature, The Spirit of God is God. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity. And in this passage, God promises to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. God has been sending his Spirit into the world since the dawn of time. We saw that in our Genesis series. Already in Genesis 1, we read of the Spirit of Jehovah, that he was sent into the world, that he was moving over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God is the one whom God sent to create life in this world, in the plant, 
and animal kingdoms. But also throughout the whole Old Testament, the Spirit was already working in the hearts of God's people. But to use the language and analogy of the pouring out of the Spirit, we must say that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not yet poured out. The Holy Spirit only flowed into God's people, as it were, in a trickle. Think of a trickle that flows out of your faucet in your kitchen sink when you turn it on just a little bit so that a small measure of water trickles out of the faucet. That's how the Spirit worked in the Old Testament. He trickled into the hearts of God's people and only worked a small measure of spiritual life, as it were just enough for them to be saved. He worked a small trickle in their hearts because the Spirit in the Old Testament worked and taught the hearts of God's people through types and shadows and pictures and laws and prophecies. He painted pictures to them and he constantly pointed them forward to the coming of the Messiah in the great day of the Lord so that they experienced their salvation only as children learn in elementary school when they receive pictures and are taught in very simple language. But Jehovah promises through Joel that in the great day of the Lord, he will pour out his spirit like a thunderous flood of waters. Jehovah promised through Joel in the chapter that we read that the land that was devastated by locusts and caterpillars and palmer worms, that was left a desolate wilderness, God would restore. God would pour down the rain from heaven the former rains and the latter rains, and he would refresh and replenish that desolate earth so that once again they would be able to reap the harvest and fill their floors with wheat and barley and their vats would overflow with oil and with wine. By that promise, Jehovah was showing through a picture what he was promising to do in the day of Christ I will pour out my spirit just as I pour out the rain. A mighty torrent, a mighty flood will come down from heaven and I will pour him down upon my people and I will enrich them with overflowing spiritual blessings. And we ask, how can that be? How can God pour out his spirit in such rich abundance as an overflowing fountain upon his people, it's because the Messiah will have come. He would pour out his Spirit in the day of the Messiah. And before he pours out his Spirit upon his people, he would first pour out his Spirit upon the Messiah. Other prophets spoke of that. The prophet Isaiah spoke of the fact that when the Messiah comes... God will pour out his Spirit upon him. And when the Messiah came, he testified, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord has come down upon me in the form of a dove, anointing me to be the Messiah, the Savior. The Messiah would come into the world. And as Isaiah also prophesied, he will suffer for his people. He will be wounded for our transgressions. He will be bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace will be upon him. He will suffer great things for his people. To use the words of our text, he will suffer those judgments of blood and fire and smoke and darkness. The Messiah, when he comes, will keep all those judgments upon himself and suffer them in our place. Blood, he will shed his own precious blood. Fire, he will experience hell fire that we deserve. Darkness, he will experience the darkness of abandonment from God, suffering for our sins. When the Messiah comes, when the Messiah suffers, when the Messiah lays down his life for the sins of his people, then, then, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. I will pour out from heaven my spirit as a flood 
of refreshing waters upon the hearts of my people so that they will overflow with spiritual life when they look upon and hear about the coming of the Messiah, when they know that our Savior has come, He has come, and He has saved us through His own precious blood, dying in His love for us on the cross. When they gaze upon the face of their Savior, the Spirit will cause them to overflow with joy and hope of salvation and spiritual life. And they will look forward to the great day of his return in hope, knowing that as the Messiah has already come, so he will come again and he will finish the work that he has begun. He will establish his kingdom in righteousness and peace where the wolf will lay down with the kid and the lion with the lamb and all God's people will dwell perfect peace in the new heavens and earth. I will pour out my spirit, God said. And God did what he said. When all those things came to pass, the apostle Peter stood up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and he said, Men and brethren, listen to me, listen to me. These people that you see speaking in your languages the wonderful works of God are not drunken as you suppose. They're not drunken. They're filled with the Spirit. This is the fulfillment of what God said through Joel. Peter preached to them that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. At his baptism, he was anointed when the Spirit came down in the form of a dove. He was filled with the Spirit of God, and in the power of the Spirit, he went to the cross and gave his life. And this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised up and made him both Lord and Christ. And he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Jesus has poured out the Spirit of God. Notice that. Jesus poured out the Spirit of God. God said, I will pour out my Spirit Peter says, Jesus poured out God's Spirit. Don't you see there? Jesus is God, just as the Spirit is God. Jesus is God. When Jesus poured out the Spirit, God poured out the Spirit. You see, when Jesus ascended up into heaven and sat at God's right hand, Peter says, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Jesus received the Spirit, and Jesus poured out the Spirit on his church. And now remember, what God promised through Joel was not just a one-day, one-time occurrence, but Joel was foreseeing the whole of the age of the Messiah that we live in. And he said, God said, I will pour out my Spirit in that whole era of the Messiah. We are the recipients of the Spirit of God. Jesus has poured out his Spirit upon us, people of God. We live in the age of fulfillment. The Holy Spirit has flooded our hearts and given to us the overflowing blessings and riches of salvation. We know our Savior. We know who He is. We know what He has done. And as we look in the face of Christ, the Spirit fills us with the joy of salvation. A wondrous prophecy indeed. It's a wondrous prophecy also in the second place because God promised to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. That's amazing. All flesh. Now what does that mean? It means, first of all, that God was promising to pour out the Spirit upon all nations. He didn't promise to pour out the Spirit on all Jews or all Israelites. Although Joel was a prophet who spoke to the Jews, the promise of God was to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. 
all humanity, all nations, kindreds, peoples, tribes, and tongues. That was a wondrous prophecy when the children of Israel heard that prophecy. Just as they heard it in other prophecies, they must have been filled with wonder. God was saying to them, The day is coming when I will not only establish my covenant with you, Israel, but I will extend my covenant. I will open my covenant to the nations. And just as I send you my spirit as a trickle, in the day of Christ, I will send my spirit as a flood upon all of the world, upon all flesh. And our Lord Jesus gave that great commission, sending out his apostles to preach the gospel in all the world, in every nation under heaven. And God has promised to pour out his spirit with that gospel. As missionaries go out into the nations, into Asia and into Africa, South America and North America, and unto the uttermost ends of the earth, as those missionaries go out preaching the good news of salvation, God is pouring out the Spirit with those missionaries. He's pouring out the Spirit upon the nations so that when the gospel comes to them, the Spirit works in them and they receive the gospel. And they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the joy of salvation. And God establishes his covenant with them as he has with us. Remember what Peter said on Pentecost at the very end of his sermon about the promise of the Holy Spirit? He said, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is not just to you, Israel, Not just to your children, Israel, but to all that are far off. All of God's people in the nations. And thus we see the great importance in this age of Christ that we send forth missionaries into the nations to bring the gospel with which the Holy Spirit will be poured out for the salvation of God's people. But in the second place, when God promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh, he not only meant all nations, but he meant all classes of people. And that comes out right in the text when he says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and even your handmaids and your servants all classes of people. That was a wondrous prophecy. The children of Israel, when they heard that, they were filled with astonishment because in the Old Testament, God only poured out His Spirit on a select few. The Spirit was sent as a trickle to all God's people, but the Spirit was poured out only upon prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. Not upon all flesh, Only a select few received the outpouring of the Spirit. But now God is saying, in the day of the Messiah, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, your old men and your young men, your manservants and your maidservants, rich and poor, black and white, masters and servants, men and women, boys and girls. I will pour out my spirit upon all classes. I will anoint them all with my spirit. And they will all be unto me prophets, priests, and kings. And by this promise, the Lord is not saying that he's going to do away with those special offices. We still have special offices in the New Testament. They had prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. We have pastors, elders, and deacons in the New Testament. And God calls only a certain class of men to those offices. He doesn't open those offices to all in the church, but only to certain whom he calls and anoints to those special offices. But the promise of the text means that those office bearers in the church do not have a special claim on the outpouring of the Spirit. 
they are not the only ones who have the outpouring of the Spirit. God promises to pour out his Spirit on all flesh in his church. Young and old, men and women, masters and servants, rich and poor. And the result of that, the Lord says, is that they shall dream dreams and see visions and prophesy. That is, first of all, they shall know the word of the Lord. That's what prophets did. They knew the word of the Lord and they spoke the word of the Lord. You will dream dreams and see visions. He didn't mean that only the young men would dream dreams or the old men. And only the young men shall see visions. But he he is speaking poetically. He means to say all classes of people will dream dreams and see visions and prophesy. And they literally did in the early church. Many of God's people on the day of Pentecost and in that generation, they saw special dreams and special visions. A dream is something that we experience when we are asleep. We see things. We all have dreams. But God was promising to reveal himself to his people by the Spirit through dreams. And in the early church, some of God's, many of God's people learned the word and the will of God through special dreams and special visions. Visions are things that people saw while they were awake in a trance. Like Peter on the roof saw that sheet of the clean and unclean animals, or the the unclean animals coming down from heaven. We don't believe that after the age of the apostles, God still reveals himself through new dreams and visions. We believe that God has given all of the special dreams and visions that he has planned to give in the times of the scriptures, and they are in the scriptures for us now. But the text does still apply to us today. When God says that all classes of my people will dream dreams and see visions, he means they will all know me. They will all know the truth. They will all know my word and my will. They will have it in the scriptures. And every one of my people will be able to read the scriptures and understand the scriptures and know the scriptures and know me through the scriptures. Every single one, the little boys and the little girls, the men, the women, the masters, the servants, the rich, the poor, the ministers, the laity. That was one of the great errors of the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. That the church said the people cannot really understand the scriptures. You can't give them the scriptures because they can't understand it. Only the priests and the bishops and the cardinals and the pope, only they can explain the scriptures. And the Reformation said, no, no, the Bible says all God's people will have the poor outpouring of the Spirit and they will know God and be able to understand the scriptures and also then to prophesy. Prophets not only know God's word, they speak God's word. And this text tells us that in this age of the Messiah, not only ministers prophesy, but the little boys and girls do. The men and the women do. The rich and the poor. The masters and the servants. The mothers and the fathers. They will all prophesy. They will all be able to speak the word of the Lord and say, this is what the Lord says. In his word. We find there the beautiful office of all believers. All believers have an office. All believers are able to know and speak the truth, speak God's word, to speak of Christ. We have a calling to do that as well, both within our homes and in the church, in the schools, and out in the world. We are God's witnesses. All of us are able to speak God's word. So go forth, beloved, and speak God's word. Tell the world of the salvation God has given to you. There's urgency. Because Jehovah has also promised that at the very same time that he pours out his spirit, 
He will pour out his wrath. God promises in our text, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. At the very same time that he pours out the Spirit, he will pour out these judgments upon the ungodly world. There's urgency, beloved, that we bear witness of salvation to the world around us. Joel himself had seen with his own eyes how terrible the judgments of God can be. Joel lived in a time when God had sent an army of locusts. Can you imagine? An army of locusts out in our fields here outside of town, eating up all of the wheat, all of the corn, all of the soybeans, caterpillars, palmer worms, eating it all up. Devastation, sorrow and weeping, loss, hunger, and starvation. And Joel had foreseen through that plague that God was sending a worse judgment of captivity on Israel for their sins. They were going to be hauled off into a foreign land by a heathen nation. And so he called out to them, Lament, weep, rend your hearts and not your garments. Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. There's urgency for us to see our sins and to repent and turn to the Lord, for he is merciful and gracious. And now Joel's prophetic eye stretches into the future, to the age of the Messiah, and he sees that in that great age, when God pours out his Spirit for the salvation of all flesh, he will pour out his wrath in awful judgments. Joel was seeing what started to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Because Peter quotes the whole text in Acts chapter 2. We find that somewhat startling when we read about the pouring out of the Spirit and then Peter continues to quote about the blood and the, the darkness and the fire and smoke and the sun and the moon. When Pentecost seems to be a time of joy and celebration, he's also speaking of these terrible judgments. But our Lord Jesus Christ also prophesied in Matthew 24 and elsewhere when his disciples asked him, When will this temple be destroyed? And Jesus told them, In this very generation, it will already begin to be fulfilled. There will be earthquakes and famines. There will be pestilences and wars, rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be destruction and death and sorrow and persecution in this generation. And then this temple will be destroyed. And not one stone will be left sitting upon another stone. That began to be fulfilled in the days of Jesus Christ and his apostles. Joel already prophesied that there would be Wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood, fire, and pillars of smoke. There will be wonders. There will be signs up in the heaven and down on the earth. Signs. In Reformed theology, we refer to those as the signs of the coming of Christ. The signs of the times. There will be wonders. There will be signs. Blood, fire, smoke. Blood. There will be lots of blood. And blood is a sign of death. How much blood has been shed in the age of the Messiah? In the last 2,000 years? How many fires have come destroying homes and forests and cities? How many wars have brought desolation and explosions, and war, uh, fires, and smoke, columns, and pillars of smoke. Think of the bomb that fell in World War II 
on two cities of Japan and the column of smoke that rose up from those cities. That's a pillar of smoke. There will be blood, there will be fire, there will be pillars of smoke in that great and terrible day of the Lord. There's urgency, beloved. Urgency. That already was being fulfilled in the day of the apostles. In the year 70 A.D., the Roman army invaded Jerusalem and crushed the Jewish rebellion and set fire to the temple in the city of God and shed the blood of thousands and millions of Jews. And since that day, there have been countless wonders in the heavens above. Tornadoes that have come down and brought destruction. Hurricanes in the oceans. And signs on the earth beneath. Earthquakes. Landslides. Wars. Explosions. And all kinds of devastation. All of these wonders, all of these judgments of God fall upon the ungodly world for their sins. Sometimes God's people also experience these afflictions, not as God's wrath, but as God's trials. And God preserves us in the midst of them and works them together for our good. But they are judgments upon an ungodly world. And all of these signs and judgments are pointing forward to that last great day of world history. Joel's prophetic eye stretches not only to the day of Pentecost, but all the way to the day of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 24, Jesus prophesied that just before he appears on the clouds of glory with all of his angels, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. Jesus indicated that Joel's prophecy will be literally fulfilled. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, we also read that when the Lord comes on that last day of world history, God will snuff out the light of the sun and the moon and dislodge the stars from their galactic places and send them hurtling and rocketing towards the earth in one last great conflagration, one last great inferno, one great blaze of fire, the earth and the whole universe will explode with a fervent heat when the Lord Jesus comes. But he will gather up his people into the clouds to be with him in the air. This final judgment will come upon a wicked world that refuses to repent, that refuses to turn to the Lord, that refuses to believe in the only Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the urgency of our witness. In this age, God has poured out his Spirit upon us. We, sons and daughters, boys and girls, young and old, rich and poor, We are prophets. We know the scriptures, the gospel, and the promises. And God says, now go and prophesy to the world, speak to the world, and through you I will gather my people. Send missionaries into the nations. Preach the gospel of salvation and warn against the coming judgment. The message is always one of salvation and judgment. Never just salvation and never just judgment, but salvation and judgment. There's the gospel of salvation and the warning of judgment. There's the call to faith and the warning to flee from the wrath to come. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. For there is only salvation in him. And the prophecy of Joel concludes with that beautiful promise of salvation. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered or shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance or salvation, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call.
There is and there will be salvation in this day of Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, no matter who he is, no matter where he is, no matter what nation, no matter what language. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Calling upon the name of Jehovah is crying out to him. Crying out to him in true sorrow over my sin. Crying out to him in fervent prayer for the forgiveness of my sins. And experiencing the forgiveness of my sins. Crying out to him in worship and gratitude and songs and prayers of thanksgiving. That's calling upon the name of Jehovah. Whoever calls upon him shall be saved, Joel says. But we know, of course, that we are not saved by calling upon the name of the Lord. We are not saved because we call upon the name of the Lord. But calling upon the name of the Lord is the fruit of faith. Whosoever shall believe in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the more fundamental promise of the gospel. Whosoever, Jew or Gentile, black or white, bond or free, whosoever shall believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified shall be saved. That's the beautiful promise. And we're going to see more about that in our second service today because Paul quotes this promise in Romans 10. That we're going to read in a couple of hours. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul is issuing that same promise of the gospel, and he grounds it here in Joel's promise. He says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How do I know that? Paul says, Because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Quoting Joel. If anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, that's an evidence that he is already saved. That's an evidence that God has already begun the work of salvation in his heart. It's an evidence that he has true faith in Jesus Christ. And by faith he shall be saved from the wrath to come. Calling upon the name of the Lord, you see, is the great fruit of the outpoured Spirit. This is all part of the same promise. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and they shall call upon my name through the power of the Spirit. That's the first and the great fruit and evidence of the Spirit in our lives. You see, this is not a conditional promise that is issued to all men. The promise is preached to all. The promise must be preached in all nations. But the promise of salvation itself is particular. The promise is not that everyone will be saved. The promise is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But who is going to call upon the name of the Lord? Who does that? Only God's people, only God's elect. That's what Joel says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be salvation, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Who calls upon the name of the Lord? Only those whom the Lord has first called. How can anyone call upon the name of the Lord if the Lord doesn't first call upon him? That's what Joel says. The remnant whom the Lord shall call. As many as the Lord shall call, they will call upon him. And whom does the Lord call? Paul enlightens us to that in Romans 8. For whom he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
them he also called. God calls all of his elect whom he has predestinated to salvation. The promise of salvation is particular for the elect. Notice the Apostle Peter is not, did not miss this part of the text in Acts chapter 2. But after quoting Joel and explaining it, along with a few other texts, he concludes his sermon by saying, For the promise is unto you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is unto you and to your children. And to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He lifts that from Joel as well. For salvation shall be in Mount Zion. Now when the children of Israel heard that promise that salvation will be in Mount Zion in Jerusalem, they knew what Jerusalem was. Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. The city of the great king. That mighty fortress of our God. There in the mountains of Judea, that stronghold where David made the capital of the kingdom, where he protected himself and all of his people, there will be salvation in Jerusalem. Yes, of course, in Mount Zion, the mountains of Jerusalem, because God has promised that he will protect and save Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We will be safe behind the mighty walls of Jerusalem. So now, in the New Testament, we understand that Joel was not speaking of that old city. But by speaking of that old city, he was speaking in typical form of the whole church in all nations. There will be salvation in the church. The church is Mount Zion. The church is Jerusalem. And ultimate salvation will be given to God's people there. As John sees in the end of the book of Revelation, the holy city coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, the new Jerusalem. All God's people gathered into that city whose streets are paved with gold. There will be salvation, full and complete, when the Lord Jesus comes again. Whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy glorious promises. We thank thee for the outpouring of thy spirit. May we be filled with joy and hope this morning as we consider the great things thou hast done for us. And as we look forward to that great day of his coming, when we will inherit Salvation that eyes have never seen and ears have never heard, so glorious and so beautiful. Come, Lord.